Right, so this week's podcast, hello guys, this is the Big Pezza Podcast, and this week we were talking about um, used bikes. What, well, what sort of bikes have I bought in the past? Um, and if you hear some rushing in the background, I'm putting the shopping away. Um, like that. It's just me putting the shopping away. So, if we think about, like, what, what have we done in the past? What, what things have we done in the past? So, let's go from my biking history. I've purchased well over 15, 20, maybe 20 bikes now. My, you know, and what sort of problems have I had with them and stuff like that. So if you're looking, thinking about, oh, buy a brand new bike, buy a second-hand bike, buy an old, old bike, buy a new, new bike, you know, there's different things that can weigh or sway your decision-making. Um, I prefer, and it depends what they want the bike for. So I, let's go, my first, one of my first purchases um, a lot of my first purchases actually or my earlier purchases all came from a dealership they all came from the same dealership because and I bought second hand approved used and they were old Hondas well not old Hondas but a couple of years old so like between two years or and five years old usually and they came with uh, warranty from the dealer which is pretty sweet going you know really nice to have extra warranty going for your your bike and stuff which i thought was really nice um then i had um uh i had no problems with that bike at all um the only problem i had was me not looking after it because it was new to biking and the internet didn't really exist back then so you know videos like what to do with your motorbike, how to keep your bike running good, you know, all that sort of stuff. Make sure you do these things. And I didn't do any of them things like checking chain slack. I didn't even clean the chain for a year. So it just needed replacing. It's like, yeah, that chain's knackered. It's um, uh, it's like rusty as hell. It, um, it's dry as a bone, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah, it was, a, it was a, 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 you know, an eye opener or whatever. So sorted that out. Um, then, I decided, uh, well, I kept, you know, then that bike went and I got another bike, got another proof used bike. Zero problems with that bike at all. Like, no problems with it at all. And then I got a brand new, uh, then I decided to get another bike, traded it in. Of course, I got my big bike, got my CBR600RR, approved used bike, an older, you know, this is a 2004 bike. Um, fuel injection, I think it was, and it was a big, powerful bike. And that bike, Zero problems. I had warranty with it, passes MOT every year, like apart from once where the headlight bulb blew or something, but other than that, everything was fine. Oh, the charging system might have. The altern Did the alternator go once on that? It's been so many years ago now, I can't remember. I No, it didn't. I think it was. No, it was fine. It was fine. It was the battery went. I know the battery went funny. Um, but yeah, other than that, it, other than that, it was fine. Um, just the battery was weak um, and that was after about two years of me owning it so it was well past its warranty by the time I got round to that so not that shabby really um, and what what happened with that bike nothing that bike was fine I sold it I miss it I want it back if anyone's seen my CBR 600 metallic blue 2004 message me I want it back one of my subscribers back in the day actually messaged me saying I found your bike for sale somewhere and it was stock. I kept it stock. I didn't want to put another can on it or anything like that. I just loved it. Whoops. I loved it how it was and, you know, whatever. I miss that bike, but I can't ride him, them sports bikes anymore. But that, we saved that for another podcast. Why I can't. 
but I had zero problems with that. And I paid, when I was buying these bikes from the dealership, I was probably paying about 200 pounds or between two and 500 pounds more than what they would have if I was buying them private. But because I got such a good service from the Honda shop at the time, and I had no issues with them, and every bike that I bought off them was a gem, no problems whatsoever. Then we fast forward. Oh, then I decided to get a second hand, an old second hand Kawasaki GPZ. And I bought it for a sum of seven, 600 pounds, 600 pounds. Now the bike had sat and I was not super mechanically minded when I bought this bike. So it's a massive chance for me. It was, it was like it, and it, it was immaculate. Like people who saw it, they said that bike looks immaculate. They said that is one of the best looking GPZs I've ever seen. Um, it, everything was crisp, clean, beautiful. This is like, you know, before I properly owned it. Um, and everyone, you know, everyone said that bike looks absolutely mint. And it, I think I bought it and it was like 14 or 15 years old at that point. Anyway, um, I took it to, an, to get it MOT'd because it didn't have an MOT. And it had failed on, so I paid 600 pounds for the bike. And in my head, I expected to pay another 600 pounds to get it fixed and on the road and everything. I wasn't far off. It was total to get that bike on the road, including tax and insurance was 1,400 pounds, 1,400 pounds. So 200 pound over what I expected, but that's not really that bad. And that bike was fine its entire life with me. And I had it for about five years or six years. And that bike, I did about 12,000 or 14,000 bikes, uh, 14,000 miles on it. Um, and the only problem that I had with it was the odd cold morning start. Um, I had to shake the bike to wake it. The battery went bad as well at one point, but that's just the battery. Um, and the exhaust crumpled. So I had to pay out for a new exhaust as well later on. And that was about 200, 300 pounds. That's a full system as well. So that was expensive. It was like 220 quid or whatever. But the rest of that bike was fine. I ended up selling that bike um, for one, two. I sold it for one, two, which isn't that bad considering it, you know, a lot, if you think about it, I put in one, four, I absolutely caned it around Ireland on that bike. It was great. Mm. The only service that it ever had was an oil change and filter change. It never had a proper service. So in my, in my hands pretty much. So, um, and I, even the, the person bought it off me for one, two, fantastic. Uh, no problems there. I had no problems with that bike really. Uh, it wasn't a money pit. It wasn't an endless money pit. I was fine with it. I was happy with it. Um, I got a Honda FMX Supermoto. Loved it. Great fun. Bought that for two or one nine at the time. Wish I had it now because then bikes are worth three or more because they are rare and they're lovely 650 singles. Brilliant. Um, miss it. I want my 650 back. But I got rid of that bike because it was... It was old now. It was, that was, that was getting on. That was, that was about 15 or oh, that was getting on. That was, that was well over 10 years old. Uh, probably closer to, uh, yeah, it was getting old. That one was, so I decided to get rid of it, uh, before it cost me a load of money. Plus I had too many bikes at that time. I had the, uh, don't forget. I also had a Honda C and uh, let's talk about one of my tragic purchases, I guess the Honda C, uh, CRF 250. Um, I mean, it, it had a, 
I mean, I bought that brand new and I would hope that I wouldn't have any problems because I have bought other Hondas in the past and they've been old and reliable. Now I bought that Honda with warranty. Ah, now this is, this is the cost. So the GPZ throughout its entire lifespan didn't cost me nothing expensive really. The uh, CBR 600RR didn't have massive cost either. Uh, the CRF annoyed me out the gate because I put a lot of money into that bike. It was a 4,000 pound bike when I bought it new um, many years ago or just under four grand. I had to pay four grand or whatever, you know, and I also had to get, oh man, I had to get the forks done. Uh, so I had to, you had to buy the bike brand new. I had to pay for the first service and I had to pay for the other services therefore after because it was under warranty for three years. So I needed to make sure it was in the service thing. Otherwise my warranty, my, my warranty would have been null and void. So I didn't want to have to deal with that. So I didn't want to lose my warranty. So I had to get it serviced and with, at the correct places at the correct times. So I did, I got it serviced regularly, got it serviced, you know, and I had problems with that bike. The first, the, the second month of me owning it, the fork seals went, which of course not covered under warranty. So I had to pay out for that. So I've sent a load of money on the bike, buying all that stuff. Then I had to purchase, um, to get some new fork seals, which were not cheap. It was like 220 quid on top of that. So it wasn't a very good uh, couple of first couple of months of ownership, really. Um, I went to Scotland and back on it. The bike needed a full engine rebuild, Luck, top end rebuild. Luckily, it was covered under warranty. Otherwise, I'd be probably crying right now. Um, but it was all covered under warranty. So it had a really bad start in my ownership. So I had to pay out a lot of money on that bike. And so I've sold it now to Phil Ferretti, if, well, I think everyone knows by now. I've sold it to Phil Ferretti. He's enjoying the bike. Uh, he got himself a cracking deal, I think. I, you know, that money cost me so much. That was the most expensive bike I've ever owned um, because of all the times I had to pay out for fixing it. Um, I know punches and stuff don't really count. Oh, but the quality of tires that were on that bike were the worst. At least when I bought these second-hand bikes, they were coming with decent sets of tires on them. My goodness, them brand new Honda tires were dreadful. They were slide, the rear just slid out all over the place. And it lasted a long time, so I didn't bother changing it, but it was absolutely lethal. Absolutely lethal. It made such a night and day difference when I changed a tire. Um, I slipped out several times on that. Simple things as well, just like pulling out from a roundabout. The back end would just come right out. At least with all these used bikes, they were coming with a decent set of rubber on them. So, didn't enjoy that purchase, because new tires, you kind of have to factor in now. So, I mean, the suspension upgrades, all that stuff, okay, fine, that might be a sweetener deal for buying a second-hand bike, but no, <laughs> I, I really, no, just no. So I decided the next bike um, after going to the CRF, I actually got a second-hand Honda CRF, 
which came with knobbies, which came with bash plate, which came with, it was in really good nick, so I was happy with that purchase. That was fine. I kept that for a few years until it, that was nicked and burned. Uh, but yeah, eventually after that, I actually bought myself the Honda, uh, sorry, the BMW G650 GS Satel. Now, the Satel is a very nice bike and I'm very happy with that purchase. I bought it from a BMW dealership in Guildford. They gave me a cracking deal on it because I had a golden ticket. No joke. Willy Wonka, golden ticket, literally got me that bike. Um, it got me that bike. It got me it for cheaper than it was. It got me 250 quid knocked off. Um, if I put the deposit down that day and I was like, you know what? Let's do it. Let's get it. So I got it. Not sure if it was a, you know, at the time I was, I was like, oh, BMW, I'm going to be a BMW. And you know what? I bought that bike from a proved BMW dealership. They did a full check on the bike and I got it. And the only problem that I had with that bike when I got it, there was two issues with it. There was two glaring issues with it, which sucked. And of course, had I checked the bike out properly, maybe I'd have noticed these things, but the rear hub bearing had gone um, a bit bad. Um, uh, but we didn't know, that, when did it go bad? Oh no, it hadn't gone bad straight away. It had only gone bad later on, but the rear disc had actually gone. So the rear pads were very, very low. And I mean, I should have checked them, but the rear pads were basically none, null, null, which is very bizarre because it passed an MOT. So this is a BMW dealership and this bike had somehow passed an MOT. And I was like, right, that's interesting because it's got an MOT on it. It's a fresh MOT. And within a month, my rear disc needed replacing because it is completely warped. That sucks. Like the rear disc in the first month. Not too expensive, luckily. Quite an easy fix with um, BMW Motorworks. They got me some parts really good. So, and, and, and okay, the BMW has had a lot of repair work done, but nothing made, like, I've had, I've had a lot of work done on it. I've done it all myself, uh, and pretty much everything is my fault. It's usually because I've ride, ridden the bike too hard. I've got it into a bad spot. I've dropped it. I've crashed it. Um, uh, it's just been absolutely abused off-road. It's got double the mileage than the Honda CRF had. And it had less than the, less money spent on it over them over them over them years um, that I owned both of them. Like the the CRF was costing me more money uh, than the BMW did because the BMW parts were cheaper. I was buying, but possibly some secondhand parts were getting thrown in there as well with the uh, BMW. Uh, but it it was fine, and the BMW is probably one of the best purchases I've made on any bike because of the 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 money to use sort of ratio that that bike's worked out to be the cheapest it's been the most reliable it's been the solid uh, it's had its ups and downs but nothing nothing to a point where i was like oh dear you know i was a couple of times i was definitely struggling um but it's nowhere near as bad as that crf was and that was a brand new bike so we're talking we, you know comparing brand new to used and of course the bmw came with not some not off-road tires it came with some very decent road tires which i kept on there for a few months actually before i actually plucked up the courage to go off-road with it so it wasn't like i was you know holding off or anything i was like you know i'll uh, i'll wait and then i'll get my 
off-roading you know tires later on so it wasn't too bad it even came with crash bars uh it came with uh, some nice aftermarket bits and bobs so it wasn't it really was a really good purchase i think for me so i got that bike more than happy with it super fine with that one no problem now we're going to fast okay every project cub and stuff like that i bought you know uh i bought my um honda c90 from a little dealership uh in london originally and it was 600 pounds which is really cheap really if you think about it for a c90 nowadays you're paying more it came with mot it came with um xyz now i didn't really look at it i just literally went there picked it up brought it home didn't check it over um and it had a fresh mot on it with no advisories however that clearly was bs because the tires were shot they were bald basically on the rear so they really need to be replaced so apart from that paying out for the new thing and also the uh tail light failed uh within the first week of me owning it which kind of sucked so like the brake lights weren't working or whatever so anyway uh all fixed you know all sorted and that bike didn't cost me much more than that really so it wasn't really that much really for a set of tires and fitted and all that so it wasn't that bad i will consider getting um something like that in the future you know something like that wasn't too bad um and i, I was fine with that one so let's just fast forward to present day sort of thing we've got the honda vfr 750 now do i recommend you go out this is what basically what it recommends there are three categories of bikes out there sort of thing you've got the brand new where everything should be bells and whistles everything should be great you should have no problems i think you shouldn't have to pay for the first service a lot of companies now do that thing where you can not pay you you basically you pay for the first service because it's like in like your payment plan so you not you don't really notice it so much i think is the the trick that they use it's the trick that they use anyway so you're not paying for it but you are paying for it i think that's possibly the best way to do it i wish there'd more place people would do it like that so sort sorted sorted them out get that bike whatever then you've got the approved used where the bike's brand pretty much brand new it comes from a dealership they've given it a good old check over now that really depends on the um state of the dealership like how good they are uh what's their reputation like yada 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 i have had massively mixed opinions about every single dealership there has been ups and downs everywhere people have good experiences people get sold stolen bikes um which they're going to get told about which is i don't know if it's illegal or shady or whatever but yeah there's lots of it's not always clear cut and it can be a shame i wish stuff like that didn't happen it does do you trust leadership basically is what is what they're saying uh is what everyone's on about and sometimes you do sometimes you don't i wouldn't i i don't it's hard to say it really is it varies so much so okay you're getting it from leadership you're going to get warranty okay fine fair enough um i've i know some mates who have been absolutely stitched up and bought absolute lemons 100 percent 
lemons and I've told them take it back and ask for a full refund or something. Oh. Um. Oh. I've just found a packet of cookies. And I'm really upset. I don't think I should eat these. I'm going to throw them. Right, uh, back on to what I was saying. Um, right, what was I saying? Right, back on to what I was saying. Um, anyway, yes, uh, dealerships. Do you trust them or not? That's, oh, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole debacle. Let's just, I mean, like I said, the BMW I bought wasn't perfect. But it was fine. Maybe I got lucky. Maybe I didn't. Maybe it's the quality of the bike. I don't know. Anyway, so buying a used bike, so something that's like five years old, or around that, from a private seller. Yes, you might save a bit of money. There's more room for negotiation, but you don't know the history of that bike. Um, always. I mean, even the dealership knows less about the history of the bike. If they if they say to me, "Oh yes, it was owned by a lady. She was a commuter. Yada 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 yada. You know, just a commuter, something like that." I would be hesitant, hesitant, because maybe they're implying that ladies don't ride their bike as hard as men do. I can tell you that, that ladies probably even ride their bike so much harder than men. It would be, you know, it, it's insane how far some of them are go. So I wouldn't even put it past them to that engine being absolutely knackered. And they've just, you know, told them, oh yeah, no, it's fine. Believe me, I'm a girl. No. Them girls are nutters. Them girls on bikes are no more nuts than men. So, yeah, they, they, I wouldn't trust that. I wouldn't trust it. That bike's lived on the red line. Who knows what's happened to its valves and pitting and all sorts. Um, but yeah, if you're going to buy a second-hand bike, the thing is, it helps to be mechanically minded. It does help to know you are taking a bit of a risk when you buy a second-hand bike. But when, let's actually, you know, but you're going to get, at the end of the day, you're going to get something that's going to be relatively new and relatively problem-free, usually. Like if you buy an Africa Twin, you know that they're a known quantity. Most of the owners look after them. They get them regularly serviced. They don't use them much. They only use for that one trip of the year. Sometimes they're used for a bit of commuting. They're not used a lot, Africa Twins. I'm just using that as an example. Um, and you probably will be fine purchasing something like that from a private individual. Now let's go a bit older, the Honda VFR 750. Big gamble, big gamble time that was. I was there with a voltmeter checking the bike over because the main issue with them old Hondas is they burn out their stators and rectifiers and all that stuff. So I wouldn't want to purchase the bike that does that. So I would 100% be there checking, checking bits out, making sure it's all hunky-dory, basically. Um, so yeah, okay, bit of a pain to do, 
but I'm there. I know the bikes are grand, but I could be spending dumping thousands upon thousands into this bike. So I want to make sure that it's not going to cost me more than I have to pay for it. Anyway, so that's all fine. I sorted out the bike, picked it up, got it, got it home. It needed a bit of work. You know, it was, it had sat for a while. I paid a grand for it and you know, it could be any bike. Like in my head, my budget is, I had a very low budget for that bike and it was around one and a half my budget was sort of thing. And I was thinking, okay, well I can buy a bike. If it runs, it runs. If it doesn't run, it's not the end of the world. So that's another thing I had, I had afford, I could afford to take time with it. It didn't need to be a commuter. If I was gonna buy a bike today and I needed a bike as a commuter, I would buy, I'd buy something a bit newer. I'd buy something possibly, you know, possibly a small Honda or something like that. You know, I would buy one of them again. I wouldn't buy a big chunky, big VFR that could spend a lot of time in the garage just not doing anything because it's broken or it needs repairs. So there is a lot of stuff like that to consider. I would definitely do it again though, but that, that I tell you though, that VFR, it had a few problems. It's not a good looker. There's loads of cracks and scratches everywhere, but as an engine that's gonna be solid and reliable, I can't fault it. I cannot see a single fault with it. I, I have, I have taken it to Scotland and back, and the only thing that I really need to pay for it, I need to give it a full service. And that's the thing, when you buy an old bike or a second-hand bike, even if it has service history, you're gonna be paying for that first service. You wanna get the bike serviced, especially if you're gonna take it on a big trip, always get the bike fully serviced and checked out sort of thing. Even if you're doing it yourself, just check the whole bike over. Remember, it's your butt, your life, and motorbikes are incredibly dangerous. And if something's not tightened up right, or you know, and it's not potentially the uh, previous owner's fault. He could have accidentally forgotten to do something that was critical to like making sure the, the rear wheel stays on or something like that, who knows? Um, so it's a good thing to check all the things over sort of thing before you do properly start taking it on bigger trips. Cause once it vibrates and everything, that's when stuff starts to come loose. So yeah, I would definitely, but yeah, it wasn't too bad of a purchase and I can't really fault it for anything really. Um, especially what it did. I can't fault the BMW or the VFR for anything really. Uh, yes, the VFR has cost me around one and a half now, but that's new tires. That's one new tire. That's, um, it's quite a lot of stuff that I've, you know, put into that bike. So I'm quite, quite chuffed with it really. That is, that is cost me not a lot, really, all things considered. Anyway, I guess that's what I'm trying to say is if you're going to get an old bike, like a VFR or something like that, just expect that you won't be able to use it for about a month because you'll be ordering parts, servicing it, sorting it out, getting it ready for a trip. Whereas if you buy a newer bike, you'll be able to get on the road and so much quicker on the road and off you go sort of thing. Be a lot better. A lot better for that sort of thing. So you've got to take it, take it, you know, ups and downs, swings and roundabouts, the whole stick. Anyway, if that's rambled along long enough, I possibly have rambled along enough, but yeah, um, I guess I'll talk about something from my black book. Um, unattended suitcases? Yeah. 
So unattended suitcases in hotels is a big issue if you're on airport side. So if you are on the side of the airport and there's an unattended suitcase, that's bad. That is a case of you call people and uh, police come or security come and sort it out. It's big deal. If you are one mile outside of the airport zone, it's a different story. It's a much different story. It is a case of you don't, there's no procedure for it. It's up to you sort of thing. So what people tend to do, it depends where you are basically. Um, for me, maybe I'm a bit stupid, but it was one mid-November time. Not a super busy day. You know, summer season is when you get loads of people going on holiday. No one was, really. So it was a very quiet day. There was a big unattended suitcase in the middle of the lobby. Almost in the middle of the lobby. Propped up against one of the pillars, shall we say. Now, all the receptionists and um, one of the managers had a bit of a panic moment. Because they all they see is this big, big suitcase and they deem it as a, they identify it as a threat. As a threat to what? As a threat to themselves? As a threat as in we need to deal with this, this is not, this is not good, we need to get rid of this, we need to sort this out. And um, yeah, they, they, maybe they panicked a bit possibly, but anyway, they, they were like on the edge of calling the police because they're training because they used to work on airport side hotels more than me. Um, I was always on the other side most of the time, very rarely on the inside. But because they used to work on the inside more, they were more, oh, that's a big problem. We need to sort this out sort of thing. Uh, panic, panic. And, um, but I, a bit brazenly maybe, pretty much walked up to the suitcase, grabbed it, opened it up sort of thing going yep this is some okay well we'll keep this behind reception it's not a bomb chill out um i mean a part of me was like if a terrorist is going to blow up a thing they're not going to blow up a thing on the outside of the airport then they're going to do it on the inside of the airport they're going to do it with much damage as possible and they're not going to do it in the end of october or whatever when we're not even that busy uh, to their response was like, oh, I suppose you're right. They also said I was also nuts. No one, no, my manager didn't 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 um, bat an eye either. Like the big general manager didn't bat an eye about what I did. Um, of course, in other places that's a strict no-no. You do have to go through the procedure about unattended luggage. It is a big, big, stressful problem for members of staff uh, who work on the S side. Um, thing and the, the worrying thing is the security checks and stuff they're not even that hard to get like you, once you're on airside you can actually work on airside for months you can actually work airside for months before you're told before your uh, background checks complete you can actually work for three months without a proper background check it's not like you apply for a job with your background check then you get then you get the job. No, you get the job, you work there, and then during the first three months is when you do your big background check. Now, what does that mean, the big background check? It means that you have to get references 
from every single employee employer you've had for the past something like 10 years or five years or something. So everywhere, everywhere needs to give you a reference. You can't just like have, oh, and if one person refuses to give you a reference, then that's it. You're not getting a job. Like, it will come to the end of your three months. You won't have your... Th but for the first three months, you can be working airside. That's the, that's the worrying thing. You could actually be there, working airside, doing whatever, walking in and out of security, all that stuff, for three months before anyone says, oh, you're not supposed to be here. So that's a bit, I don't know, dodgy in my eyes that they allow it like that. Like, you'd think it's the other way around, but no, it's not. You can literally work in the airport for three months before your background check's complete. But I will tell you a story, another podcast, about what happens if you work and you get fired from one of your jobs and then you try to get to your air pass. It's very funny that if someone does something very stupid, gets fired, and then four years later, they're asking you for a reference and you decline them, do you know what that means? You won't get a job. So it's very important that you leave every single job. If there's even a slight possibility that you might be working airside, you want to make sure you leave every single job as on best terms as possible so that you're guaranteed to get your, your simple reference letter to confirm that you've done work here, etc., etc. Anyway, this podcast has gone long enough. Hope you found it interesting. Whatever. I'll catch you in the next podcast. That's all for this week. Goodbye.